hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Thank you. Last week, the market snapped its three-week losing streak with a gain. You know, October has this reputation for being the most volatile month for stocks. Not the worst, but the most volatile. I don't know of anyone who's come up with a good reason to why this is, but all you have to do is look at Friday to know it's probably true. You wake up, or at least I woke up, to the news of a flaming Iranian oil tanker in the Red Sea. Then we moved on to some positive Brexit news. Watch the former U.S. ambassador to the Ukraine be deposed for a presidential impeachment inquiry. We see a ramp up in American forces in Saudi Arabia. And that's all before we get to the good stuff, meaning the good stuff as far as the market is concerned. The Fed came in with more quantitative easing or QE, as folks like to call it. Really, it's QE light. And all that means is that they're putting more money into the system just to be safe. And to get the markets really cooking, there was an announcement of a partial trade deal between the U.S. and China. Tell me that's not a full day. The market is going to continue to weigh out a trade deal versus a trade war, as well as steady growth versus recession. At the moment, you don't have clarity. The headlines are leading the markets around by their nose because, well, people are waiting for clarity before they commit to something. But you know what? You'll never have clarity. Things will never never settle down. Uncertainty is and always will be present. If it wasn't, stocks would probably never move. As I said, the headlines, the tweets are leading the way up and down. When that changes, well, we'll probably know. But until then, don't confuse the noisy headlines with what investors ultimately really care about. And they care about the fact that the U.S. economy continues to muddle through, driven by the consumer that, well, remains pretty resilient. Is the manufacturing data weak? Well, yes. Yes, it is. Is CEO confidence at its lowest point, point since October of 2016? Why, yes. Yes, it is. These are some of the things that you'd expect out of a trade war. But, but the consumer is still, well, consuming. They're out there buying new homes from DR Horton and used cars from CarMax. They still have jobs. Unemployment is about as low as it gets. Wages are growing. And why is all this stuff important? Because 70% of our economy is you. That's right, you, the consumer. That's what really matters. That's one of the main things we need to keep our eye on. We want to look for any weakness in the consumer. As long as the labor markets are healthy, the consumer is spending, and the Fed is continuing to provide stimulus, I think we'll be okay. I get asked constantly what I think about policy and politics and how it might affect the market. Let me say this. Politics are extremely noisy with almost no signal beforehand. The market cares about policies, not politics. That's what we want to be thinking about. Look, I know it's challenging to divorce your political views from the market or your market forecast, but you absolutely have to because 
those strongly held beliefs some people have can be toxic to their investment returns. These are big, complex entities we deal with. Don't make the mistake of overemphasizing the wrong things. Headline-related volatility and uncertainty will always be part of this world. So let me just cut to the chase here. I said a few weeks ago, and I still think it's true, I think the market is in a wide trading range with the low down around 2840 on the S&P and the high end just over 3000, maybe 3020. And I'd still be focusing on the defensive names. Who knows what's going to happen? If you want to have a conversation about financial planning or maybe get a second opinion on your portfolio, well, give me a call. The number is 301-770-5234. Always happy to have a conversation. We're all going to be busy here over the, well, at least for the next couple of weeks. Earnings are kicking off. As usual, the big banks are going to get us started. And as it stands, I believe the S&P 500 earnings as a whole are expected to decline about 4% year over year. As I said, the big banks are leading leading us off. And so far, we've gotten JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Citibank, and Wells Fargo. And I haven't gone through all the numbers, but a quick take on it is, is JP Morgan looks to be the best so far, beating estimates by about 23 cents on the earnings side. Citibank was okay, and they beat by two cents. Goldman Sachs was not so good, beating on both or missing on both the revenue and the earnings side of things. Goldman's had a tough go of it for a while now, as has Wells Fargo, symbol WFC. And Wells has, in my opinion, the most over uh, overhang of all the banks going back to its scandal over creating fraudulent savings and checking accounts back in 2016. And for many years before that, I would have told you that Wells Fargo was the best bank in, in America. Wells missed earnings estimates, but beat on the revenue side of things, and it was hurt by balance sheet repricing. Anyhow, I think the real story with Wells Fargo is their new incoming CEO, Charles Scharf, who, uh, who Wells hired away from BN uh, Bank of New York Mellon after going seven months with an interim CEO after Tim Sloan left in March. Basically, it's a company that's been without a rudder. And I think the first priority for the new CEO is going to be on the regulatory side. After the scandal, the Federal Reserve imposed an asset cap of $2 trillion that's hindered Wells Fargo's ability to grow its balance sheet. So, his first major step should be to work with the regulators to remove this cap, which is, of course, holding back revenue growth. Right now, Wells Fargo, again, symbol WFC, is trading at a pretty deep discount compared to its rivals, and it's well-deserved. That discount is deserved. I think that if they could wake up one morning and tie their shoes correctly, well, you could see some decent upside to the stock. Buying it here now. You're picking up a discounted stock and you're getting a 4% dividend while you wait. It may take a while, but I think the risk reward scenario is worth it. I'd be a buyer under $49.50. What I think is the best bank in uh, best, best bank in America reports here shortly. That would be US Bank Corp symbol USB. We'll keep our fingers crossed there. And it's not just the banks uh, that we've had reporting um, today. Some of the healthcare stocks have reported too. And Two of them that I talk about here on the show is Johnson & Johnson, symbol J&J, and 
UNH uh, United Healthcare, they both announced both beat estimates and raised their guidance. I've said that I believe the healthcare stocks are being weighed down by the political risk, and I still think that's true. But ultimately, it's going to be the earnings that are going to matter. Let me start with UNH United Healthcare. It's been stuck in a rut for about a year now. And I started buying it back about, oh, I don't know, six months ago, I guess. Well, UNH beat the analyst uh, earnings estimates pretty handily. They had more revenue and made more money on that revenue. Earnings were up double digit. But what I'm really happy about is that they raised their full year guidance by a good clip. Basically, they said they're going to, or rather they expect to, earn more this year than what they previously thought. And the stock is trading about 15, 16 times this year's earnings, slightly cheaper than the S&P 500 overall, and about 14 times what Value Line expects them to earn next year. And I think that's pretty reasonable for a business that's been growing their earnings by about 15% per year on average for the last five years. And they have a great balance sheet on top of it. UNH is the bellwether of the group, and I think it's a buy under uh, 235. The next one is Johnson & Johnson, and it seems to be the one that everyone loves to hate. But again, it's ultimately the earnings that's going to determine the stock price. And J&J did the same thing that UNH did. They beat the analyst estimates on revenue and earnings. And oh, by the way, they raised their full-year guidance. Realistically, I think a lot of companies have set the bar low because of the uncertainty that's out in the markets. And now that we get closer to the end of the year, they're more comfortable raising that bar. And Johnson Johnson has more than just the political risks that are out there, but they also had some legal entanglements or still have some legal entanglements uh, that has run off some investors. And I think that's a mistake. But nonetheless, it's a risk, a substantial risk. I'm not a lawyer and I'm only guessing here, but I think some of these issues get settled for a lot less than what's being priced into the stock. For example, earlier this month, a Philadelphia jury awarded $8 billion to a man who had previously won $680,000 over his claims that J&J failed to warn young men using uh, one of their drugs that they could grow breasts. Johnson & Johnson called the sum grossly uh, disproportionate with the initial comp uh, compensatory award and said it was confident that it would be overturned. And you know what? I tend to agree with them. An $8 billion judgment over one that was $680,000, something, something's not right there. I think that gets overturned. Anyhow, I think Johnson & Johnson is a well-diversified quality business, and I'd be a buyer under $130. Okay. We've run out of time. I'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up 
It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.